obviously that is a, an incredibly powerful story and I want to talk about it at a few points. But first for this morning, I want to spend some time thinking through both what forgiveness is and what it isn't. So anytime we come to any concept, but particularly a concept like forgiveness, we already carry a certain set of assumptions about what that word means and how we define it and how it would, it would uh, look if we were to practice it. And so it's really helpful sometimes to even bring some of those uh, assumptions to the table and ask, is that an actual, is that an accurate way of thinking about forgiveness? Is that a biblical way of thinking about forgiveness? So my hope is that we can, again, just spend a few minutes really thinking through and parsing out, okay, what, what does forgiveness really mean and what does it not mean? And help, um, hopefully to bring some, some clarity to, to the, the term and the, the concept. So um, I'll just go through some ideas here with, with that in mind first. Uh, forgiveness is possible and it is essential and neither of those seem like groundbreaking ideas except when you are in the midst of an incredibly difficult circumstance the idea that forgiveness is possible uh, might not seem true and that could be in in a uh, if you've experienced a, a significant hurt or trauma, or even in a small circumstance at times, the idea of forgiveness just might not seem, might not seem possible, certainly at the, at the outset. And so part of why we constantly have to immerse ourselves in stories like the one we just saw or the ones that, that we've been sharing in the group over the last few weeks is to sort of hold a, a, collective, a collection of narratives that we can pull from and, and draw from and say, okay, I remember that it was possible in this scenario. I remember when, when this man falsely accused by a cop uh, chose really bravely to forgive. So I see that's at least possible. And even if you can't name it as possible for your own self, sometimes even being able just to identify it as possible for others is at least a helpful first start. Forgiveness is also essential, like I said. I'm convinced that if we are to enter into any sort of healing from our deepest uh, wounds or even more shallow wounds, it requires forgiveness. It is not something we can bypass or skirt around. It will, at some point in that process, become essential. We might not begin with forgiveness. There might be some other steps that we begin to, to walk through in the process, but at some point... We're going to bump up against the absolute uh, essential quality of, of forgiveness and, and healing. Forgiveness is not dependent upon apology from the wrongdoer. Now, in this story that we just watched, eventually this man received an apology, which is beautiful. Uh, but forgiveness isn't dependent on that apology. And as difficult as it could be, to not have our offender name his or her wrongdoing to us and to never own up to it and claim responsibility and extend an apology to us, as difficult as that can be. The beauty of this is that while we have been harmed by another's choice, our healing is not dependent on their additional choice then to say I'm sorry or to name, name their wrongdoing. Uh, as much as me, we might want that apology, and maybe it comes later and maybe it never comes, 
at least, forgiveness is a gift that we can experience, again, regardless of whether we receive that or not. And that is actually a really, really good thing. Because we have a choice in that, in that moment when we've been harmed, how we're going to, how we're going to respond. Can you imagine how, um, how different the scenario would be if we were not only vulnerable to being wounded by others, but we were subject to their own willingness to name and own it in order for our to, to proceed with healing? That would look far less hopeful, I think, than the idea of forgiveness being a possibility uh, with or without the other, the other party's involvement. Reconciliation, we'll talk about this a little bit more, but reconciliation obviously requires two willing parties. And forgiveness is essential to the process of reconciliation. But forgiveness itself does not necessarily require both parties to be involved. Uh, Forgiveness is heroic. It can be a simple act. It can be also an incredibly profound act but it calls out the absolute best in us as humans. It sort of demands our best. It demands that we live into what it means to be human. It asks that the, we bring the very best of our humanity and our gifts and our resources to the table to, um, to begin a process like, like forgiveness. And it is heroic. It is nothing less than, than heroic particularly because it requires incredible courage in the face of fear. Because as vulnerable as we were in our being wounded, we are still vulnerable in our walking the process of forgiveness. And so there's a lot of fear in that. So choosing to forgive and choosing to remain vulnerable so that we can remain human uh, is, requires incredible, incredible bravery. Forgiveness is a choice, and perhaps more accurately, it is not a singular choice, but it is a series of choices, and perhaps even a lifetime of, of choices. So I've mentioned to you all, I used to work um, at a ministry with survivors of sexual trauma, and part of our counseling models, we worked with these women, had various sort of phases. They were all integrated, but we had sort of certain steps that we'd begin to walk through. And the second step of this, um, this journey was called choosing to forgive. We, we knew that for these women to experience any sort of healing, that forgiveness was going to be something we were going to have to talk about fairly early on in the process. Now, it was not, of course, demanded of them. And again, it was their choice. But we wanted to sort, sort of cultivate an environment where even the idea, the language of forgiveness was, was always on the table for their own sake so that they could, they could come in with the most horrific traumas that you could imagine and actually experience some healing. And that became possible only through their willingness to at some point say, I want to walk through the process of forgiving my, my abusers or those who maybe didn't actively harm me but chose not to step in and, and uh, defend me or protect me and so forth. And again, it's not simply a singular choice but a series of choices. 
I am not convinced that uh, forgiveness necessarily always has a very, a very clear start and end point because it might be that 30 years from now, every once in a while, we still feel a sting of something. And rather than going, oh, man, I didn't, I didn't do forgiveness right, <laughs> um, it would be, I think it helps us much more to know if forgiveness really is a series of choices, then in that moment, I can continue to choose to forgive and to, to say, okay, what is it that's coming up for me right now and how do I walk through that? Perhaps there's a facet that we uh, hadn't quite addressed yet. Maybe we had a, a, a really um, hurtful relationship. We walked through a lot of forgiveness in that and years later something comes to the surface and we realize, okay, once again I have to choose and keep choosing forgiveness. But by virtue of it being a choice, it means that we cannot be coerced to do it. Uh, and again, that's a, that's a really good thing. Forgiveness is not a linear process with sequential steps. I think there are some phases within forgiveness that are, are somewhat identifiable, and we will talk about those as we move in, in further weeks. But rather than it being, again, a linear process that we kind of walk through very clearly, uh, we are going to bounce back and forth between each of those phases throughout our our forgiveness journey. Uh, again, hurts might resurface. We might have told the story and told it as best that we can. And then months later we realize, I need to name that again. Or I need to name it a little bit differently. Or I need to articulate something I didn't quite have the ability to articulate before. And even if that might be considered phase one of this, this sort of journey, we might have to do it again. And there's not something wrong in that. Uh, it doesn't mean that we're doing it, we're doing it wrong or anything to feel shame for. If we are actively engaged in this process, we're doing pretty darn well. Um, so I hope that it's helpful to even just be reminded that this is not a, a black and white sort of cut and dry linear process that we, that we walk through. And we are no less entering and engaging in fully the process of forgiveness if we are bouncing around between the various, the various phases. Forgiveness is a refusal to contribute to the cycle of wrongdoing and revenge, and instead a willingness to actually disrupt that cycle. So when we are harmed, we are given a choice. We can uh, meet our wrongdoer on his or her level and respond in kind. And in doing so, we simply add and contribute to the cycle of hurt and revenge and hurt and revenge that just never stops. Or we can actively choose to begin the process of forgiveness, which effectively cuts off that cycle. It speaks a better word to, um, to what we've been given. Because the circumstances we were given of no choice of our own uh, were ones that perpetuate harm and revenge and harm and revenge. And we can make a really brave choice to say, yeah, I'm just not playing by that game. I think there's a better way. We can speak a better word to, to that cycle and refuse to join into, uh, into that, that cycle. 
Um, some of you might be familiar with uh, Miroslav Volf. He's a well-known theologian. He uh, himself, uh, he wrote a book called The End of Memory, Remembering Rightly in a Violent World, really profound book. Talks about his experiences of being interrogated um, in the former communist uh, Yugoslavia and during a time of war when he was incredibly suspect because he was educated, his wife was an American citizen, and so he um, was forcibly drafted into military service and was from the outset assumed to be a spy, assumed to be the worst, and had to undergo some pretty dehumanizing interrogation, pretty dehumanizing treatment by, uh, by those around him, by his, his fellow uh, military personnel, as well as those those in charge. And there was one man in particular who he names Captain G, who was um, namely responsible for a lot of the dehumanizing behavior. And uh, here's what, what Wolf says about this willingness to uh, not contribute to the cycle of, of wrongdoing. To triumph fully, evil needs two victories, not one. The first victory happens when an evil deed is perpetrated. The second victory when evil is returned. After the first victory, evil would die if the second victory did not infuse it with new life. I really, really like that image of, uh, of the evil dying. I think our Christian narrative uh, helps root us into to the idea of evil and death being defeated. And that is the story that we live into when we refuse to give evil a second triumph, as Wolf talks about. Uh, he goes on further to say, uh, again, about the captain that, that um, interrogated him and was really uh, treated him awfully. He says, um, Captain G would not mold me into his image. Wolf's process of forgiving his offenders was rooted in his belief that he was created in the image of God. And therefore, he wanted to step in and break the cycles of death and injustice and harm and evil rather than perpetuating them. And because he was made in the image of God, that was a path he chose, specifically again in contrast to the image of this captain who uh, could have formed Wolf in his image because he could have responded in kind. And he said, I refuse to allow him to make me in his image. Rather, I made in the image of God. Uh, forgiveness is not pretending that what occurred was right. Of any of these, I think sometimes that is the most important for us to, to keep in mind. Um, part of the reason I showed the video at the beginning of these two, of these two gentlemen is whenever I hear a story like that, particularly with, with those factors that were involved, my initial reaction is I'm incredibly compelled by the courage of that man to forgive, by the courage of the other man to receive forgiveness, for them to be able to now be in relationship with one another. It's, it's profound and it has an impact beyond those two individuals. But then my second thought is, that's beautiful that this man chose to forgive. But what about all the circumstances that were contributing to his falsely being accused and imprisoned for four years? 
Because forgiveness doesn't make that go away. The reality is that there was still a system in place that allowed this cop, this, this individual man, to continue to falsify documents, to make unfair claims about people in his community that he was um, sworn to serve and to protect. And I can imagine if we looked deeper into the scenario, we could see injustice in various ways, systemic injustice in various ways. Forgiveness does not make that go away. And I think it's important for us to keep that in mind, that again, as incredible as this man's choice was to say, I forgive you, that does not limit his ability or our ability to at the same time say, I forgive you because I believe a better world is possible. And because I believe that better world is possible, I want to name the injustice that I see and help work to bring justice into those places, whether it's in individual lives or in larger systems. Those two are not mutually exclusive. I think they actually depend on one another. If that man, and I don't know if he did, but if the man who uh, chose to forgive the, the police officer, if he then um, entered into processes of working to name the larger injustices that helped set him up beyond just the individual cop's wrongdoing, I think forgiveness would actually be what makes it possible for him to do that and for him to do it in a just way so that he can name those injustices but not, not come in and be motivated and fueled by hatred and anger and a desire for revenge, which he named at the outset. Initially, that, that's exactly what he intended to do when he got out. Forgiveness would be the actual fuel and the energizing force that could propel him into naming the wrongdoings, both the wrongdoings that he experienced personally and then wrongdoings that are maybe happening at a larger level that are affecting other other human beings. So, truth-telling, naming what happened, naming it as wrong, naming it as horrific, naming it as um, evil, that is essential to forgiveness. Uh, again, those two are not, not mutually exclusive. Forgiveness, as I've said, is concerned with justice. But I want to camp here for a second and talk about what, uh, what do we mean by, by justice. I remember when I was in college and a professor asked a large classroom of us, he said, take out a piece of paper and draw justice. What would you, you know, what would you draw? Would you, what picture would you put to the idea of justice? And most students in the classroom drew um, like handcuffs or a police officer, sometimes like a judge. Um, or scales that were balanced, things of, things of that nature that we might think of when we think of, of justice or the justice system. But I had been spending a lot of time just before that um, entering into the Hebrew prophets and becoming aware of the Hebrew prophets in a way I never had before, that I'd never been formed in in, in my 18 years at that point of, of Christian formation. And so it was very... Um, fresh on my mind. It was on the surface, the images that these prophets talk about for justice. And so for me, I drew the image of a vine and people sitting, sitting under the shade of it. Because the Hebrew prophets talk about uh, this image when all things are restored 
of people being able to, able to sit under the shade of their own fig and fig trees and vines, not being harmed, everyone has what they need and so forth. And I began to see that justice is not merely about what we think of as sort of a punitive system that makes sure that the wrong that the wrongdoer is is convicted of his or her wrongdoing. But justice in a biblical sense is about all things being made right. The word justice and, and righteousness, they are uh, really, really similar, almost identical in both the Hebrew and the Greek text. And what they mean is uh, something being straight, meaning it is, it is in line the way that it is meant to be. It, you set, if you set something in order, that's the idea of, of justice. And so God is at work, as we talked about several weeks ago, that what are the, our theological convictions that help shape forgiveness for us? If God is at work to bring all things in order, if God is at work to set everything right the way that it was meant to be, forgiveness actually uh, contributes to that. We actually join God in establishing justice within creation by choosing to forgive by choosing to say, I want things to be made right, to be set the way that they were, uh, were, were meant to be. So forgiveness is not about, um, it's not opposite of justice, and it's not about a negation of justice, but rather it is rooted in the idea of justice. It's rooted in the biblical vision of justice, which is much more full and holistic and beautiful than our very narrow, confined way of thinking about justice nearly as punitive, punitive measures. It's much more restorative. I don't know if you caught it, but in the video, the gentleman, at, the gentleman interviewing said, did you forgive for yourself or for him? And he said, I forgave for all of us. And he pointed around himself. My sense is he's talking about his entire community. Yes, it was for him, and yes, it was even for his, uh, his uh, offender. But he seems to have a deeper sense of how his individual choice to forgive is literally helping to establish justice within his entire community. It is beyond just his own individual act. It is about, it's about justice. Um, sort of to... to um, piggyback on that. I believe that forgiveness is for the sake of the offended and the offender. Now most often we hear forgiveness is not about the other person, it's about, it's for you. And, and I understand that, and to some extent I agree with it, uh, because it is for your healing. Again, as we talked, it doesn't require the other person to, to apologize and so forth. Um, and maybe we just need to start there. <laughs> Maybe we are so hurt and angry at this other person who dehumanized and devalued us and degraded us that thinking of doing anything that might benefit him or her would turn us away from, from forgiveness at the outset. Maybe we just need to start, this is just for me. And that's not a selfish thing. We need healing. But stepping back from that a little bit, I really am convinced that our choosing to, again, to go back several, several thoughts before, are choosing to say, I, I see this game and I'm not going to play it. I see the cycle of hurt and revenge and I'm not going to join in. I'm going to speak a better word and I'm going to, to enter the process of forgiveness. That 
is not something that only brings healing and beauty and restoration to us as individuals. That speaks a better word for our offenders because it tells them that they are not the measure of the worst things that they have done and that they, can, they are worthy of experiencing forgiveness from God, from us, from others. And perhaps it invites them, even as it, as it invites us, to see that God is at work to redeem and to restore creation. And by choosing to enter into forgiveness and not enter into that vicious cycle, but to live differently, we extend that invitation to our wrongdoer just as it's being extended to us. So again, I really do think it's for our sake and for the sake of the other. But I'll say again, we might not be able to start there. Thinking about anything as being beneficial for that other person might just tick us off to the point that we say, yeah, I don't want to do this. And I really think that's okay. (laughs) I think it is important to name our anger and to dignify our anger or our hurt and, and work with that. All the while, even if it's in the background initially, just knowing somehow I'm contributing to a larger process. Um, Similarly, I think forgiveness is an invitation to glimpse the kingdom of God and to live into that new reality. So we as Christians, we know the end of the story. We know that what's coming is creation redeemed, creation restored. And what we see over and over in the scriptural text is an invitation for us to begin to live into that reality now. And forgiveness is an invitation to live into that reality now. Because of all the glimpses that we get in in scripture of what that that, um, new creation reality will be like, of what it will be like when all things are made as they were meant to be, uh, many of the images involve restored relationships, reconciled relationships, healing. And forgiveness is a way that we get to literally reach into the future and pull that into the present now and say, I know that's what's coming. I know that that reality is actually more true than the other realities that I I tend to live by. And so I'm going to plant my feet so firmly in that reality by choosing to forgive. And in doing so, it's like the curtain is pulled back and we get to see the day that's coming. All of a sudden we get to glimpse it. We are, um, our imaginations are sparked to begin to see, that's right. As much as my deepest hurts seem to tell me that this world is going to hell and that evil triumphs, I know that what's more true is that death and evil have been defeated and that the new reality will be all things are, are made right. And I'm gonna choose to, uh, to hitch my wagon to that reality, if you will. I'm gonna choose to believe that. Forgiveness is part of that that choosing and getting to experience that. Forgiveness is not a devaluation of your worth. I think that can be, that is really important to remember, especially in the face of uh, maybe we've, we've experienced others too quickly asking or demanding of us to forgive. When we bring to the surface what we've experienced, big or small, and someone goes, well, you know, you just got to forgive. No. (laughs) No, don't tell me that right away. I need you to hear me. I need you to say, I'm so sorry that happened to you. Tell me more. Tell me what that was like, right? We need people to listen us into 
into free speech. Listen, listen us into being able to name what, what we've experienced. And someone can heap an additional hurt on our already wounded self when they too quickly demand that we forgive, almost in the way that it seems just, just flippant and petty. Well, just forgive. No, forgiveness is too weighty and too difficult and too complex of a process to, to think about it in that, that trite of a, of a manner. And when someone does that, or when we do that to ourselves even, I think that what's being named is, is this sort of devaluation of our, our worth that, well, okay, you were hurt, but just kind of get past it, right? No, we need someone to enter with us into our hurt and say, that was wrong. That was horrific. That was evil. Uh, which assumed in that is that we're, we have worth. We have value. We have dignity. And forgiveness is not to, uh, to take away from our, our value, our worth. It doesn't make us a doormat. Uh, and in fact, invites us to live most fully as a human being, in, live most fully into the dignity and value we have, we have as humans. Um, you all are familiar, I'm sure, with uh, the text in Matthew 5.39 where Jesus speaks about this ethic of nonviolence and says, when you're struck on, on one cheek, um, I tell you to turn the other. And we could spend a whole series talking about this, this idea alone. But far from, I think, this being, uh, again, another way to devalue our worth and say it doesn't really matter when you're hit, just give them the other, the other cheek because you don't really have that much worth. No, I think what this idea is saying is when you're struck on the cheek, give them the other. And in the process, when you turn the other cheek, you stare them right in the eyes because it requires that. If I'm turned from this cheek to the other, I have to look my offender in the eye. And when I choose to look that person in the eye before I turn the other cheek, I'm almost forcing that person to see that I am a human being with dignity and value and worth. And I will stare that person in the eye and acknowledge that he or she is a human being with dignity and value and worth. And because I believe that, I choose not to, again, enter into that cycle of revenge. When I am struck, I choose a better way. Not because I don't have value, but because I do, and because I believe the other person does as well. It is about humanizing both parties. Forgiveness invites you to live most fully into your dignity and worth as a human. Uh, to go back to, to Wolf, who I, I referenced a few minutes ago, he said, to act as a human being is to honor feelings, even the thirst for revenge. But it is also to follow moral requirements stitched by God into the fabric of our humanity. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Um, I'm convinced that remembering is vital. Now, there may be a time where we have walked through forgiveness to such an extent that that we almost don't remember. And if that happens naturally, I think that's okay. I don't think we constantly have to keep this on, on the surface of our memories and draw it into our awareness at all times. There might be some things that we have experienced such deep and profound healing from that it's almost as if we don't, we don't actively remember them. And if that naturally happens, I think that that can be a gift. But it's not something that we ought to force. And at times, remembering and remembering rightly is really, really uh, vital to, uh, to forgiving. 
And I say remembering rightly because as Dwayne talked about a few weeks ago, the importance of getting the facts on the table and actually saying this is really what happened and not at times sort of our inflated versions of it because we're, we're hurt and so we amp things up. But remembering rightly because if we don't remember rightly, then we, we, we join our offender in his or her wrongdoing because we now offend him or her by saying you did X, Y, or Z when in fact that's not what happened. But if we're trying to, to live differently than that, if we're trying to perpetuate a cycle of, of life and healing and not revenge and, and death, um, then we remember what we remember rightly. We name with clarity what happened. Uh, Wolf again says, for only truthful memories give access to the event with which peace needs to be made. Only truthful memories. Rewritten memories insulate from the events and make continued inner turmoil their likely outcome. <coughs> we have to remember rightly if we're going to heal. Um, if you've spent any time in the Hebrew scriptures at all, you know that one of the most oft-repeated phrases is, remember when you were slaves in Egypt. And over and over and over, God reminds God's people to remember their... Uh, their extreme experience of slavery and injustice. And what's often paired with that is remember when you were slaves in Egypt and then God calls them to respond differently. The memory helps shape the way that these people now, the Israelites now respond to others. Because if they remembered what it was like to be treated so harshly and inhumanely, then when they encountered other people, when they encountered foreigners in their midst, when they encountered persons who had perhaps sold themselves into uh, indentured servitude or were taken as slaves, then their treatment of those people was necessarily linked to their memory of how they had been harmed. The memory compelled them to live differently. Their memory helped shape a better ethic, a better way of living for them. And so God over and over reminds God's people, remember when you were slaves. Remember what it was like. Uh, lastly, forgiving is not the same as reconciling. We will spend our last week together parsing that out more and saying, okay, how do we know when we are meant to reconcile? What are the signs that it's possible? What are the signs that might not be best? But for now, I just want to name, it's not the same as reconciling. There are cases where it's just not going to lead to that, at least uh, for now, and that's okay. Um, so I hope it's been helpful at least to just be reminded what, what really is forgiveness all about? What is it not? What is it not about? Um, we just have a, a minute or two left, but obviously I've, I've talked a lot and I want to turn it over to, to you all. Would there be anything that you might add to this list or any one of these particular thoughts that is especially helpful for you as you think through forgiveness? Well, you, you were doing this with your hands when you were talking about um, the kingdom of God and kind of bringing this reality closer to our current reality. And I think that ties to our discussion a few weeks ago on spiritual warfare, and that's why we pray the Lord's Prayer. It's, it's very much that motion of your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you, you know, as Jesus people, we're actually calling down this new reality. We're, we're trying to bring it into to view. And I love the, you tying that to this gentleman in the video 
who pointed to everything and you know I think in some way or another he understands that that is our call that is our purpose to bring God's peace and to usher that into um, you know our current reality so that that's that was really um, meaningful even your hand gestures you know communicated that's that is that's the Lord's prayer that that is what we're doing Anyone else? I find the idea of justice fascinating mm-hmm. because I stayed at a church for a while and when I came to Otter Creek they used justice an awful lot. Mm-hmm. And some of us are old enough to know that justice is usually the underlying word that you hear whenever you're talking about a political idea that leans toward communism or socialism. And to have to readjust that Mm. definition is really hard. Mm. But sometimes I also wonder on the younger generations if they hear justice the way you just defined Mm. it or if they hear justice as a political, social commentary word. And trying, like I said, to even wrestle that into a brand new way, it's, it's kind of interesting, kind of hard, you know, because it's like when I use that word, who's hearing what, sure. you know, and how do they want to process that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Instead of just, we're afraid of that kind of courtroom <coughs> metaphor definition of, of justice. So, mm-hmm. really appreciate mm-hmm. that other angle that restorative justice the right way. It's equity, it's mm-hmm. rightness. Mm-hmm. It's, that's important for us to understand. Mm-hmm. It's a shame that our culture has so derailed the, mm-hmm. the notion. You know, it's really difficult to talk about it, and it will take. Jesus people really redefining or, or defining and just naming what it is and the vine image is beautiful and that's and who would not embrace that notion right and who would not welcome that idea but man you can't hardly have this conversation culturally um, without a lot of false notions mm-hmm. coming to mind mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. anything else before we close for the morning Hope you'll make your lecture notes visible, visual to us. Sure. That you'll share those with us. <coughs> yeah, you bet. In, in email or written form. Yeah, you bet. It would be helpful. And also the name of the author and the books you read. Oh, sure. Yes. Yeah, yeah. There's another book that Bearslaw wrote on justice. Giving and forgiving in a culture stripped of, of grace, mm. free of charge. Does that mean you're giving it to us? <laughs> <laughs> I said, does that mean you're giving it to us? <laughs> no, I, I know. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's another good one. It's a book that I would recommend. Mm.
Um, I'll try to add that one on the list as well when I send the email so we have them together. Thanks for naming that. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Yeah, thank you all for being with us this morning. Best to you.